When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, at his introductory press conference, Aaron Rodgers said the Jets Super Bowl III trophy was looking a little bit lonely. Rodgers made no guarantees, but the first quarterback did. And those results were step one in changing the league forever. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. Ah, forgot to do my papers. The paper shake. <laughs> this show is for you guys and gals. Again, I always say this. It's cool if you already know this stuff. That's great. But remember, there's some people out there that don't. Okay, so leave some room for them to learn as well. That's why my show exists. That's why I come on here. And it's fun. And it's great. And it's educational. But anyway, uh, if you already know this stuff, I mean, congratulations to you. But there's always someone else who doesn't know as much about NFL history. So I'm here to do three things. That is enlighten, teach, and learn. This is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Belly Up Sports, also Belly Up Media. Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Check us out on bellyupsports.com. Check out the articles as well as all of our shows, the Belly Up Family of Shows podcast, and you can get them audio and visual, and you catch us on our home base of Megaphone. And also the favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and one day I'll get there, YouTube. Well, this this is a packed show. Um, so this is the first week of doing the rundown. Uh, week one was very, very interesting. And uh, wow, it's all I can say, especially after last night. Wow. So if you're new to this, during the NFL season, I go through every single game it kind of like a uh, little quick synopsis, uh, you know, try to entertain with a little quick synopsis of every game that happened throughout the week, going all the way down to the Super Bowl. And with that being said, <laughs> here it is, the first of 2023, the NFL season of 2023, the rundown, week one. It wasn't a great week for those who got paid or maybe wanted to get paid. You know, some of these guys, it just wasn't. It just wasn't a good week for him. All right. So, but it's the first week, though. We got a long way to go. Thursday night football. So, we've got Lions at Chiefs. I did not see that coming. The only people that saw that coming were Lions fans. Maybe you had a couple of what, NFL analysts that may have said, you know what? I think the Lions have a chance to win or they will win because they don't have Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones. Well, I mean, well, they were right. Uh, but listening to Doug Gottlieb last Monday, he talked about the wins 
that Detroit had last year. I think it was, what, five or six of them. They were against bad teams. Yeah, but the Lions were still improving. They're not the same Lions team that were pushovers. Dan Campbell has those boys thinking differently. That's what you got to do. You got to change the culture. You have to change the mentality. And they clearly are confident. And so Kansas City, there's opening game, week one, Thursday night football. They're celebrating the Super Bowl victory. They're honoring Norma Hunt, God rest her soul, who passed away this summer. Been to every Super Bowl, right? You know, the wife of uh, Lamar Hunt. And, you know, they didn't care. They could care less. You know, Dan Campbell, those ankle-biting lines, they could care less about what they were celebrating. If Chris Jones was at the game, he's in the box, flanked on both sides by both of his agents. Didn't even know you could have two guys like that. But anyway, um, but then the game was kicked off. Travis Kelsey was there too. No helmet. Knee was hurt. And uh, for a minute, it, it just... It just looked like, okay, the Lions are going to hang in here, and then eventually Mahomes and those guys are going to put them away. Well, didn't happen. The Lions wouldn't go away. And Kansas City, they had a 14-7 lead at halftime, but in the second half, they're desperate. <laughs> they looked desperate, even though they were down one point in the fourth quarter, and they looked desperate. And the story of that game were the drops. You got the NFL Films uh, footage of, if you've ever seen it, Hank Stram, the legendary Hall of Fame coach, winner of Super Bowl IV for the Chiefs way back in 69. They got him in the tower, and he's talking about whoever receivers, I don't know if it's practice or camp, and he's like, oh, God, look at that guy. It looks like he's trying to catch the ball with his elbows. And that's exactly what Kadarius Tony looked like. That's what Sky Moore looked like for a minute. And look, let's not overreact because these guys are the same ones that Mahomes had last year. Yeah, Travis Kelsey was missing. I understand there's two different teams here, two different seasons, but it's just the first game. All right, you know, the Lions, they got their W. Lions 21, Chiefs 20. Go to Sunday. Titans at the uh, Saints. Look, Tannehill, you cannot throw three picks. Can't happen, ever. Okay, you can't do that. And then you got DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins, I'm just wondering, what is this dude thinking? I know Titans fans around here, and they are tough on this guy, you know, especially when he signed that contract, you know, when he was making what, the, when he got the $100 million. But that's what it is. And not, you know, it's what it is. But uh, at the, on the other side, you have a close game like that. And then we talked about Derrick Henry in the past, when he carries the ball 20 plus times, about 75% of the time, I think the Titans win, and he only got 15 carries. So maybe you can look at that too. Understand game plans, but the game plan shouldn't include <laughs> Tannehill throwing three picks. Nick Folk kicking five field goals and scoring all your points. Can't happen. Now on the other side, I really don't expect a whole lot of out of New Orleans. Derek Carr, okay, yeah, he throws for 300 and he makes the play to Rashid Shaheed. 41-yard gain on, on third and six, I think it was. And they had to do it. They had to pick up that first down, and they did it. They did exactly that, but they did enough to get the W as well. But Titans, you got to do better going forward. Steelers, you hosted the 49ers. You look terrible. My Steelers got beat 30-7. to It wasn't that they lost. I wasn't surprised that they lost because this is a team that now has their starting quarterback back healthy and a team that has, you know, pro bowlers and all pros on both sides of the ball, and they're a really good team. They were just on the cusp of possibly making the Super Bowl. And it took Brock Purdy's elbow snapping for that chance to go completely away, especially when you have Christian McCaffrey playing 
quarterback at one point. I was surprised at how bad the defense played. Outside of T.J. Watt, the defense did not show up. And then you've got the offense. The line is not blocking. Five sacks on Kenny Pickett. And then at the same time, you've got <laughs> Najee Harris only carrying the ball six times out of the only 10 rushing attempts. But that's what happens when you're down 20 to nothing. And you allow the offense for the 49ers to score on their first four possessions. That's what happens. But, I mean, you put yourselves in an early hole, and that was the worst home loss by a Mike Tomlin team in 17 seasons. Texans at Ravens. What does C.J. Stroud and Brett Favre have in common? Their first completion was to themselves. He got zero yards on that one catch, but he has a catch in the NFL. And 21 rushing yards, and he threw for 242. Okay, admirable. Um, but they're not ready yet. They're clearly not there just yet, but... The story for me, the game, was J.K. Dobbins. I really don't want to go there, but this was an example of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Running backs that get injured. He blows his Achilles. Wouldn't be the only Achilles blown this first week. So, you know, but I, I hate and I feel for this guy. He just comes back from a knee injury. Then he goes out again with another debilitating injury. I mean, you just pray for him to be like the NFL comeback player of the year. Gut punch gut punch but any anything other than that I mean I want to see him return and I almost feel like Ravens running backs are like cursed and they've been like that since what Mark Ingram left the team and then they've gone through guys like Latavius Murray and Kenyon Drake and Devontae Freeman and late Leon Bell that's very exhausting but Lamar Jackson he led them in rushing on Sunday with only 38 yards but they won the game they won the game. Ravens 25, Texans 9. Bengals at the Browns. People were calling for this to be an upset, but I didn't think so until I saw the final score. But look, Jamar Chase doesn't help when you call the Browns elves, but uh, it also doesn't help when your quarterback, big money, big pockets, Joe Burrow, and I still love him, $275 million richer, but he only threw for 82 yards, and they only scored three points. And... First-year defensive coordinator, Jim Swartz. We know this guy. If you know his history, he's a very good defensive coach. He got the game ball. And this Browns defense is scary. They are more than Miles Garrett. Browns 24, Bengals 3. Bucks at Vikings. The first thing I thought about with this game was two receivers. And those guys were Mike Evans for the Bucks and Justin Jefferson for the Vikings. These guys were looking for new contracts before the season began. Evans is going into his 10th year. Jefferson still has two years left on his contract, on his rookie deal. He's clearly outperformed that, and then some. Evans will probably be a free agent. Jefferson will probably get his money, but Jefferson does not look happy, even though he had nine catches and 150 yards during the game. But he just didn't look happy. But, hey, look, Evans, he's helping his new quarterback, Baker Mayfield. No more Tom Brady. They beat the Vikings in Indianapolis, excuse me, in Minneapolis. And uh, Mayfield, he's changed jerseys more than he's changed draws. In three years, he's changed teams four times, from Cleveland to Carolina to the Rams, now in Tampa Bay. But not a bad day. You toss two touchdowns, you get a win on the road. Bucks 20, Vikings 17. What? <laughs> Falcons, they're hosting the Panthers. Two rookies, the first pick of the draft, didn't play very well. He's throwing two interceptions on the same play to the same guy. He's got to get better. He really does. Bijan Robinson, I can't wait to see what he does going forward. And it seems like to me, Arthur Smith looks like he may have a problem. 
a very good problem. He's got Tyler Algier that runs for two, uh, 75 yards and two touchdowns, and he's got a rookie who only touched the ball 10 carries, six catches, 56 yards, and he scores a touchdown, and he's only going to get better. That's a great problem to have. Desmond Ritter, let's see if he can work this thing and, and be better as a quarterback. Uh, but he's got some help. He really does. But as far as Bryce Young, next week, Marshawn Lattimore, Demario Davis, and Cameron Jordan, they will have no mercy on you next week. So get it fixed now. Uh, Falcons 24, Panthers 10, Jaguars at Colts. Jaguars, they got the win. 31 to 21. That's all you really need to know. Anthony Richardson, first game, still first game. He looked good. Uh, got a little hurt there at the end. But you can't have this guy leading you in rushing every week. Okay, 40 yards and then he had a touchdown. But you got Jonathan Taylor who's still on the pup list and wants a new contract. They're probably going to trade him. But then these running backs I haven't heard of. What, uh, Evan, Evan Hill, Deion Jackson, and Jake Funk. They all combined for a grand total of... 25 yards on 16 carries. I'm just saying. You know, so yeah, that's what it was. Uh, again, Jaguars 31, Colts 21. Cardinals, they go into Washington against the Commanders. I didn't pay this game a whole lot of attention. And obviously, the ownership and the head coaching, this coaching staff, Ron Rivera, they're all putting their eggs in the basket of Sam Howell, which his era has begun. And the guy, he gets the uh, game-winning, well, the go-ahead touchdown run at the end of the game. Um, and then you got the quarterback room for the Cardinals, which is kind of a mess. Kyler Murray's out. ACL still, you know, recovering from that. Josh Dobbs, again, kind of like a Bay, uh, Bay, uh, Baker Mayfield nomad. He's like a tennis ball. He's He was hit back and forth from the Browns, to the, from the Steelers to the Browns, and back to the Steelers. And, and then he's with Tennessee, and now he's with the Cardinals. The guy's got a lot of... Uh, bumper stickers on his back but he played as well as he could you know having what what two and a half weeks or something like that to prepare he's a smart guy but they barely lost the game and look they were in it at least washington 20 arizona 16 afternoon slate every uh every team that was on the road got the w the eagles won against the patriots yeah that, that was great i mean i was going to talk junk to my brother who's a patriots fan the Eagles are up 16 to nothing. Thank God I kept my mouth shut because the Eagles offense did not really show up. That They made plays enough uh, on Tom Brady day or whatever. Tom Brady's there ringing the bell. He's honored at the game. And then Mac Jones throws 54 times. He throws three touchdowns. But if one receiver, one rookie, Kayshawn Boutte holds on to the ball and gets two feet down, well, really was the two feet on fourth down, then maybe they have a chance to even win that game. But they didn't. Philly 25, New England 20. Raiders at the Broncos. Sean Payton, new head coach of the Broncos. He's got this team looking good. They look better. How about that? They look better. They tried the surprise on side. Didn't work. Okay. Didn't work. Uh, tried to mirror the Super Bowl some years ago with Super Bowl 44 against the Indianapolis Colts when he was coaching for the Saints. But they look better. Real, um, Russell Wilson looks better, but we need more than 52 yards. In the second half from Russ, we do, we do. Jimmy G, he looked good. Josh Jacobs didn't. Average two and a half yards a carry. Only had 48 yards rushing. Scary moment when, uh, you know, you got Josh McDaniels, of course, bringing another New England Patriot to the fold. Receiver Jacoby Myers, he gets punished on, on a catch. And two words, concussion protocol. The guy scored two touchdowns. 
It helped out. Yeah, Devontae Adams did what he needed to do. Thank God he stayed out of the end zone. I was playing against him in fantasy. Thank God. Raiders 17, Broncos 16. The best game of the game of the day was on Sunday was the Dolphins and the Chargers. Best game of the game of the day. Track me. And <laughs> just so happens that the Dolphins have a track team outside of having guys like uh Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill and uh, Raheem Mostert and, and some others that they brought. They weren't like a four flat 40, but, uh, you know, it was good. It was good. You had the battle of the fifth and sixth overall picks of the 2020 draft. Two attack of Iowa and Justin Herbert. The latter gets sacked on fourth down to end the game, and uh, the Dolphins won it 36 to 34. Good God, I needed a cigarette after that game. Hill has 215 yards, receiving on 11 catches, like mirroring Jerry Rice's Super Bowl 23 numbers, except Hill scores twice to help put them over the top. And uh, that was the third most receiving yards in NFL history in a season opener. And then Tua, this guy, what, the fourth most passing yards in a season opener, 466 yards. If he keeps throwing like that, Tariq Hill will get 2,000 yards. He will. God, where are the cools? Anyway, Packers, Bears, running for 1,000 yards is great, Justin Fields, but you got to be able to throw the football uh, not only with confidence but also uh, without turnovers. He threw a pick six, and the game really fell apart in the second half for him. Now, on the other side, Jordan Love, his era begins, and 245 yards passing and three touchdowns, he did great. And he's got weapons. He used them. And, uh, you know, they got the W. It's, it's what I want to see. I want to see confidence from Jordan Love. That's what I want to see. And I saw that. I didn't see that in the preseason past. He looked like he didn't know what he was doing. But it takes some time. Everybody don't just come out like that. You know what I'm saying? But uh, Justin Fields got to not make those mistakes. And you can't just run for 1,000 yards every year. Name me a quarterback that ran for over 1,000 yards that won a Super Bowl. I'll wait. <laughs> you know, hold your breath. <laughs> I won't can't. Anyway, uh Rams at the Seahawks. Taylor two halves for, for Seattle. They scored all their points. 13 in the first half. Second half, zero points, 12 yards, one first down. P U. Very, very bad. And the team was falling apart. You got DK Metcalf shoving defensive backs down because he's frustrated. And then you got uh, Geno Smith calling on the Lord and throwing the ball away because, yeah, we heard that audio, Geno. It's all over social media. Oh, my God. <laughs> he sees Aaron Donald coming right at him free, right in his face, and he got rid of that ball so fast. Imagine if he played back in the 80s. Yeah, that oh, my God wouldn't have been enough. But anyway, you know, the Rams, they did what they needed to do. Even though Stafford threw for 300 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, they won 30 to 13. You know, pray for Cooper Cup. Maybe he'll come back. But until then, Tutu Atwell and this guy I never heard of, Puka Nakua, you know, they caught 230 yards worth of passes and 16 catches between the two of them. Can they keep that up? Maybe. Sunday Night Football, it was Cowboys. The Cowboys went into New York and met life. They won the game 40 to nothing. Seven sacks, what, uh, three turnovers. I mean, three touchdowns, two defensive, one on, uh, on special teams. Yeah, the offense didn't have to do a whole lot, and Prescott was all right. But, uh, look, I mean, you thought a much-improved team with Daniel Jones and uh, Brian Dayball, and that offense was supposed to be so much better. They cut that check to Daniel Jones instead of giving that money to Saquon Barkley. Truth be told, it really didn't matter. 
<laughs> this dude, he had two interceptions thrown before he even completed his first pass. That's not great. And when it rains, it pours. And it literally rained and poured. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, biggest, what, the biggest win for the Cowboys in the series history. That was that was really bad, New York Giants. Let's do better next week. So, uh, well, this week, right? Monday Night Football, Bills and Jets. I mean, what can you say? Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, he signs with the New York Jets. You got hard knocks. Week one, Monday Night Football. They're wearing the throwback 1980s jerseys and helmets. It's 9-11. New York is emotional and hyped. Uh, speaking of fire, you know, the fireman, Fireman Ed, he's leading the JTS Jets, Jets, Jets uh, chant. Aaron Rodgers, he's running out of the tunnel with the flag. And then four plays into his first drive, he blows his Achilles. When they said the cart was coming to pick him up from where the medical tent was, the blue medical tent was, you had to know then that was it. That was it. You could hear a church mouse peeing on a ball of cot. That's how quiet it was. But yeah, it was that was the first drive. And he's gone for the year. Um, but sports can be cruel like that. But the Jets bounced back. And they won the game. They beat the Bills. They were down 13-3 at one point. And between Quinn and Williams and that defense, C.J. Mosley, they would not let them lose. They would not let New York lose, not on that day. And then you, you got the plays that were made, surprisingly, by Zach Wilson. He threw an early interception, and you're like, oh, God. Yeah, it's, it's not like, just remember what you were taught. And let's, let's do this thing. Defensively, Jordan Whitehead, <laughs> it didn't look too bright, but Jordan Whitehead, himself three interceptions by himself of josh allen who had four turnovers jordan whitehead never had three interceptions in a season he had three in one night so that was great in between zach wilson garrett wilson dalvin cook Brees hall Brees hall boy he's a bad boy that offense put together some drives the game ended up tied at the end and they go into overtime they got a three and out from from um from the bills and josh allen and then you got a walk-off 65-yard punt return from the, one of the biggest stories or best stories from HBO's Hard Knocks with the New York Jets this season, Xavier uh, Gibson. This guy returns it. He's got the top 10 chain around his neck. He's emotional. It was great. You know, the third overtime punt return touchdown in NFL history, ball game. And in the words of Keegan-Michael Key, you can't make this stuff up. Monday Night Football record. Most watched ESPN Monday, uh, Monday Night Football game ever. 22.64 million viewers saw Aaron Rodgers blow his Achilles. And with that, I'm just, I'm rooting for the Jets. All right, I'm just going to say that. Coming up next, remember, look, no matter what I've said to this point, it's early. Remember that. Coming up next, the New York Jets are finally trying to turn it around. Yeah. We'll see. But the last time the Jets won the Super Bowl, that was 54 years ago. And that was step one in changing the NFL forever. I actually had the idea for this show the day that you find out and that I found out that Aaron Rodgers was signing with the New York Jets. So now whether this guy comes back next year and plays one final year and then retires or he just decides he's going to retire, I have no idea. It's Tuesday, people. Okay, Tuesday, September 12th. Okay, this this game, uh, this game, this show drops on tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. 
But uh, I, I thought about this, and it's like, yeah, that Jess Trophy, that was really, really uh, significant in NFL history for a lot of reasons. And one thing that I had no idea about, and you'll catch that at the very end of the show, but the AFL-NFL merger, you know, that was going to come about by 1970. Um, why? Well, you know, if you go back to it, it was a battle for players. Um, and it was, what, the summer of 1966, the two leagues had already agreed to merge by 1970. But here's the thing. Why were they going to merge in the first place? Well, you know, let's get to it. Kick the music. Multiple leagues throughout the history of pro football, going all the way back to the early 1900s. But then when you get to 1925, we talked about Red Grange and him starting up the first American Football League, the first AFL. But there were multiple leagues between 1925 going into the 1960s, 1960 to be exact, as a matter of fact. You had three AFLs, you got a USFL, a TAFL, and you had the AAFC. All of them eventually went away. One of them, they started a name and probably printed up banners, but it didn't even start, right? And so you have all of this stuff that happened uh, in the AAFC. If you ever go back and listen to my shows, my uh, it was a series that I did on the all-america football conference the aafc i think it's probably like a year and a half ago but anyway you slice it they were battling for players back then and they were both trying to draft and then they were going to the highest bidder that's how it was at that point in time and so by the time the league folded up the aafc folded they had outdrew the nfl as far as fans went but both and they had some deep pockets with these owners except for Miami's the Miami Seahawks owner the first year they had to fold up but they had some deep pockets but it was running these guys thin and so they were talking merger but here's what happened they said well the NFL said well we're only going to we're only going to take three teams that's it they took the original Baltimore Colts the Cleveland Browns and the San Francisco 49ers you know they wanted a team in the baltimore area they took the team that was all the way out west that was right next door pretty much to the los angeles rams they just moved a couple years ago from cleveland and then they replaced the team in cleveland with the cleveland browns and the, the browns and the 49ers were the two dominant teams in the league anyway crazy part was if you know the history of the aafc they were the two dominant teams and they didn't even play each other for the championship until the very end and that was because some teams have fallen off already so there was an uneven number of teams and they had to reshuffle things and say well 49ers browns you're going to play for the championship of course the browns won all four years and then uh they got to compete in the in the established nfl well in the a the uh, afl when it came about in 1960 same thing just in a different form and the nfl did a lot of who we i'm just gonna be honest they did a lot of dirty things to kind of stamp out the afl but um, it wasn't going away. And it was mostly because, well, one, it was fun. Uh, and then they had television contracts. But here's the thing. They actually were getting some of that great talent. Okay, so you have to have that talent to last and to put a, a product on TV that's actually going to be not only fun to watch, but some guys that actually can play. And so, you know, by 1966, they agreed because they were going back and forth and all of these different things they were using to try and uh, pretty much throw a wrench in the AFLs, the American Football League's engine. It just didn't work. 
that even the NFL dad come up with a babysitting program called Operation Handholding. When they were trying to draft a certain player, they would put these guys up in a hotel and put people outside the doors to keep AFL representation away. Uh, you know, I told the famous story about one of these guys, Otis Taylor, Hall of Fame wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs. The Dallas Cowboys were trying to get him and his teammate to sign with them because they both had been drafted. Well, <laughs> if you know about Lloyd Wells, who actually knew this guy since he was a kid, the first black scout, he was hired by the Kansas City Chiefs and Hank Stram and Lamar Hunt. And uh, he had his foot in the HBCU pond, so he knew that talent. He actually sneaks Otis Taylor out of his bathroom window or the hotel room that he was staying in. And this is after he posed as a reporter to even get into the hotel in the first place. Those are the kind of covert things that were going on. But they was vying for these rookies. They were vying for Otis Taylors. Jim Nance that ended up signing with the New England Patriots. Jim Grabowski, who ended up signing in the NFL with the uh, the with the Packers. Billy Cannon, who signed right after his last college game on the field. The Heisman Trophy winning <laughs> Billy Cannon signed with the, the Houston Oilers on the field. And then you had Gail Sayers. Had the money been right, according to Sayers, he would have signed with the Chiefs. Instead, he signed with the Chicago Bears. He got $25,000 a year for four years. But the Chiefs were offering, I believe it was 27, $2,700, no, 27000 I can't count. $27,500 for three years. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what I read. But then they also was competing for veterans. And some of these veterans that were playing in the NFL, you know, some of them would go back and forth. Yet guys like Robin Gabriel, he was looking to go to Oakland from L.A. Mike Dicker was talking to the Oilers along with John Brody, quarterback for the 49ers. Paul Horning almost signed with the New York Jets. So you have that. Uh, and then, of course, you have guys... Uh, the the African-American contingent, of course, going all the way back to the AAFC when it started in 1946, them along with the Rams signed the four, first black players, right? Um, the, the Rams were first and the Browns later on, a couple months later. But then the AFL was a lot more friendlier and more open to, not saying that their hearts were right, but they were more, oh, not all of their hearts were right. That's just to say it that way but they were open to signing that talent from HBCUs. They got guys like Verlin Biggs, uh, Emerson Boozer, who played for, I think it was East Carolina um, Eastern Shore. Let me correct myself. That's the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. And talking about Jackson State all last year with Dion. well, that's where Verlin Biggs was at. You know, So they was getting some HBCU talent, and these guys were great talents and ended up playing with the New York Jets. So, you know, building that Super Bowl three team, right? And so, you know, that um, the AFL-NFL battle, the AFL clearly won talent in that bidding war. And they signed some of the best players that the players, you know, that the owner's money could buy. And then you had the Jets that also outbid the New York Giants for a running back by the name of Matt Snell. Matt Snell ended up uh, being that Super Bowl running back that actually set a record uh, with 121 yards, Joe Namath was another guy that was highly coveted by both the NFL and the AFL. Now, the AFL, the Jets, made him the number one pick overall in their draft. The Cardinals drafted him 12th. Okay? So, <laughs> Sonny Werblin, who was one of those deep-pocketed owners, 
paid an exorbitant amount of money, okay? He paid the most money for anybody had paid ever before for a rookie that had never stepped on the field, $427,000. Nobody was making that kind of money, okay? They weren't. And, uh, I mean, he was willing to pay Joe Namath that kind of money. And here's the thing. He was paying not just for talent, but he's also paying for eyes to be on his team. And so that's another thing that the AFL was competing for, and they did get it. Because eventually, I mean, we know that Joe Namath turned out to be really good, and then he ends up being a Pro Football Hall of Famer. Uh, the NFL knew just as well as the AFL knew. Love the story that Al Davis tells about when he was a scout and, and uh, I think he was an assistant coach for the San Diego Chargers working under Sid, or working with Sid Gilman. Gilman sends him to Alabama. He comes back and Gilman says, what you see? And Davis says, I seen a guy that, that uh, tips the field. He said, what does that mean? He's like, this guy plays like he's always going downhill. I mean, he's so good. He's so he's, he just plays like he's going downhill. He's strong arm, and quick release, all of those things that you look for in the quarterback. And he's like, well, what's his name? He's like, it's a kid Namath out of Pennsylvania, Beaver Falls, to be exact. And, uh, you know, that was the biggest signing of the era. This is what, in 1964. And so the NFL isn't winning this bidding war, you know, outright by any means necessary. You know, they, they're not. Uh, they they can't they're trying to they're keeping up but so is the AFL they're like going back and forth with these players signing these players left and right they're not going away clearly this is 19 going into 1968 well they've already by 1966 agreed to have some kind of merger right well 1968 the New York Jets they actually get their turn in the Super Bowl but there's a lot of disrespect that's been going on and it was rightfully so because the NFL saw themselves as far and above just greater than the AFL. The AFL was a Mickey Mouse league. Uh, you know, just like the leagues that came before them, you know, they can't keep up with this. They don't play defense. They, they are compared to semi-pro teams. Just think about it. Let's just say if the, uh, you know, the, uh, not the, well, I don't know, the arena league, tries to be pro football erase the short field and all that stuff you got them trying to compete with the nfl and the nfl is going to do what any other big corporation is and they're going to try to stamp them out and if they're not stamped out well they're going to say what's really on their mind and they did not hold their tongue they were inferior norm van brocklin uh, he was the hall of fame quarterback and then turned coach and he was doing some things uh, as far as on the mic talking bad about the AFL as well and how bad that they were and, and it, it just wasn't it wasn't going to be pretty and they shouldn't be playing they shouldn't even be on the same field as an NFL team. Uh, the Green Bay Packers gave that reason for everybody in the media because the first two Super Bowls they outscored the Kansas City Chiefs and the Oakland Raiders 68 to 24. This is the best you got. And apparently, you know, that was supposed to be the best that the AFL had. And let's just not remember, not, not forget that the Chiefs, they were only down 14-10 at half. And then Lombardi you know, took his belt off. And then uh, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> so they blew him out. And even the Oakland Raiders score was 33-14. to Well, they scored that last touchdown. Well, Mike Sinai caught a touchdown pass at the end of that game. And um, 
it just it, it wasn't even that close it was 33 to 7 it just wasn't that close so jimmy the greek the famous you know odds maker 18 point underdog he made them an 18 point underdog the baltimore coast was supposed to be the greatest thing since sliced bread they were 13 and 1 they had taken over as the greatest team you know on the earth they were kind of the team of the 50s at least at the end of the 50s but you know this was uh, a team that was going to destroy the one loss they had was to the cleveland browns and they just beaten the cleveland browns 34 to nothing in the nfl championship game prior to the super bowl so yeah there was a merger that was going to be agreed to but here's a, a wrench and a slap in the face to the afl before the merger was even two years before it was even, well really a year before it was supposed to happen okay this is in january of 1969 two days before the game in miami commissioner pete rosell is also he, he's talking about altering the merger altering the championship game and basically taking the two superior nfl teams and putting them in the championship that was a slap in the face. So they had no trust. You know, remember, Roselle is on the NFL side. He worked as a PR man up under Tech Shram, you know, with the uh, the LA Rams. And then they all obviously put him as the commissioner of the league. So he's an NFL guy through and through. I mean, you know, God bless him. But I mean, look, look at it from the business side. I understand what they were doing. I'm gonna give you more details next week because this is part one of two. But there was no respect for the American Football League at all, especially after the first two Super Bowls. There was no reason to think the New York, New York Jets were going to win. They were the biggest underdogs in history. 18 points. That was, that was just, I mean, it actually dipped down to 15, but at one point it was still big. 18 points? 18? So, you know, you have that happen. But here's the thing. There are plenty of players that were, Castoffs from the NFL as well. I talked about the rookies and the and the guys that that were considering leaving the NFL for the AFL. Some of them didn't have a choice. You know, yet players and coaches alike, they had reasons to beat the Baltimore Colts. And then you know you had Weave Eubank, who was the head coach for the Baltimore Colts when they won back-to-back -back championships in '58 and '59. 1963, he's thinking, yeah, I got a job. This is after the draft. And uh, he's gone away on vacation. Well, the owner, Carol Rosenblum, calls up Don Shula, who is a assistant with another team, and says, how would you like to, the, to be the head coach of the Baltimore Colts? And just like that, weaves out the door. And then you got left tackle Winston Hill. Winston Hill was with the Colts and actually was one that was drafted by Weeb. He's in training camp. Shula calls him to his office and says, you know what? We're not going to be able to use you. This guy uh, is going to be starting in front of you. I forget the player's name because he was a first-round pick. And, you know, maybe you should try the AFL. And he actually did. He called up Weeb Eubank, who uh, actually he called the, the Denver Broncos first, who wouldn't even pick up the phone. But then he calls Weeb. Weeb says, okay, come on out to New York. And Weeb tries to pull the same thing as Don Shula. And Winston says, I'm not leaving. The left tackle says, I'm not leaving. All he does is turn into an eight-time Pro Bowler in the Pro Football Hall of Famer. You know, I mean, that's that's just that's just great. <laughs> you know what I mean? He says he's not leaving. He stays. You know, I say I'll stay even if I have to pay for it myself. 
he wins the job the next year and then he's the starter for the rest of his career pretty much until he ends up uh, with another finishes last year with another team but then there's defensive back Johnny Sample Sample was a cult as well okay so uh, but this guy was accused of stealing supposedly and then he ends up with Washington and I mean apparently he just rubbed some people the wrong way and he was blackballed by the NFL as he puts it and then we view bank and the jet the jets they signed him the baltimore colts on the other hand you know that team had changed by 1968 the 50s colts you know there was no more lenny moore raymond barry or jim parker but you still had johnny unitas um but the guy tore a ligament in his elbow and is throwing on the final exhibition game then you bring in earl morrow who just happened to sign with the team 34 years old Baltimore is his fifth team since being drafted back in 1956. Second overall by the 49ers. You know, so he takes over. And just imagine this for you newbies. Just imagine Tom Brady with the Patriots in 2007. They went undefeated. Just imagine they were 15-1. and Brady tears up his elbow, hurts his elbow in the last preseason game. But they get to the Super Bowl with NFL. and, And they get to the Super Bowl with Ryan Fitzpatrick who's the NFL MVP. Just imagine that. You know what I mean? And it would have been one thing for Earl Morrill to be simply a backup, but he was the MVP of the NFL for the 13-1 Baltimore Colts. Then you got the guarantee at the Miami Touchdown Club. Namus there, he's accepting an award. And then the guy in the back says, hey, Namus, we're going to kick your bleep. And he's like, look, uh, tired of all this disrespect. I'll, look, we're going to win the game. I guarantee it. We wasn't happy about that. But it's like, look, you know, you always telling us uh, how confident we should be. You're building up our confidence. So why can't we just say that? You know what I mean? Why not? And the crazy part is, is that you know, you got that guarantee. But Winston Hill actually did that after the Jets won the AFL championship game against the Oakland Raiders. Uh, who was it? Sam DeLuca, who was the reporter. He goes up to Winston Hill and says, are the Jets going to win the Super Bowl? And Hill says, yes, we are. Yes, we are. You know, drafted in by Baltimore in 63. We fired. You know, Shula takes over. And uh, Hill gets cut <laughs> and ends up being a pro football Hall of Famer. But he had motivation. We Eubank had motivation. Johnny Sample also had motivation. But matter of fact, you know, you have – uh, the game itself, Baltimore did not play well. Their first half, look, these are their possessions in the first half. They're supposed to be the great Baltimore Colts. They were overconfident. Didn't change anything and just thought, well, what we do is what we do. We're not going to change anything. We'll beat these guys no matter what. No adjustments. First half, this was their, these were their possessions. Missed field goal, punt, tip drill, interception, missed field goal, interception, Flea flicker interception. That was the Jimmy Orr play where Jimmy Orr is running down the left side of the field and he's wide, so wide open. He's jumping up and down, making pancakes, waving his hands. And then Morrow throws over the middle and it gets picked off by, you know, the, by the Jets defense. And I mean, what, what are you supposed to do? Second half, you know, the Jets are up seven to nothing at halftime. They still got a chance, right? But apparently, they're beating up toilets and they're they're upset and they're beating beating up the locker room because they should be beating these guys 34 to nothing by now. Well, that wasn't the case. Second half, they punt it. Uh, New York Jets go up 13 to nothing. Unitas comes in. They punt again. The Jets are up 16 to nothing. 
United throws an interception. They finally score a touchdown. Jerry Hill has a, a touchdown run with 319 left. It's 16-7, which ends up being the final score. They turn it on over on downs, and then United throws two incompletions, and that was the ball game. That was it. They were covered an onside kick. They tried everything. Didn't work. Pete Rozelle, after the game, you know, he goes to Pat Summerall, who's working the sidelines, okay? He tells him, after he takes a drag from his cigarette, tell me all you know about the New York Jets. He knew nothing about the New York Jets. Absolutely nothing. And why would he? Why would he keep up with them? You know, not only did Joe Namath win Super Bowl MVP, and he throws 206 yards, doesn't throw any touchdowns or interceptions. I'll take it a step further. It was great. Johnny Unitas, Earl Morrow, they had zero touchdowns and four interceptions between the two of them. Hmm. How you like me now? How you like me now? So, I mean, it's, 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 it, it was there for the taking. The Colts, the, they suffered the greatest Super Bowl loss probably this side of the Giants beating the Patriots that 2007 season in the history. This is probably the greatest upset in NFL history, definitely to that point. And that was one of uh, the one of two Super Bowls that did not have a touchdown pass. And the Jets, they beat, you know, Hall of Famers. Jimmy the Greek, he favored them by 18 points. And all due respect, there were a lot of Hall of Famers on both sides of the football for both teams. On paper, Jimmy was right. That the MVP, Earl Morrill, and then Johnny Unitas. Tom Maddy was a great running back, and Jerry Hill, John Mackey, the Hall of Fame tight end. Yet Bubba Smith and Mike Curtis, a pro, uh, all-pro linebacker, and then Don Shula. Not just Don Shula, but they had, if you know your football coaches, Bill Armsparger, who was the the doctor of the no-name and uh, no-name defense and the Killer Bees, right? And then Chuck Noll. Yeah, before Chuck Noll was the Steelers coach. Yeah. He was a defensive assistant with the Baltimore Colts. We beat them, beat them all. Namath beat them all. And he said the Jets wouldn't be able to establish a running game, Jimmy DeGree did. Snell ran for 121 yards, again, in, in, the one touch, in the one touchdown. That's what they did. Of course, he praised Earl Morrill, who threw three picks. Unitas came in for him. He didn't do much either, except throw that pick. Yeah, he led one touchdown drive, whoop-de-doo. But you know, it was one of those one of those situations that should have been a lot better uh, for the Colts. But it just <laughs> the Jets they were prepared. They were more well prepared because here's the thing: just like Pete Rozelle didn't know enough or anything at all really about the New York Jets, the Colts didn't either. Apparently not. They didn't know enough. I'm sure they watched some film. I know the Jets did, so the Colts had to have, but it was almost like they were taking a nap. It was like something out of a movie. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just what it was. We're going back to 1965, and I did not know this. Negotiations for the NFL-AFL merger that they did in 1966, right? So in 65, Carol Rosenblum, owner of the Colts, Ralph Wilson, owner of the AFL's Buffalo Bills, they were meeting. In 66, Browns owner Art Modell met along with Rosenblum and then Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys team president, Tech Schramm. They met with Wilson in Miami and there was um, an asking price of $50 million to join the NFL. Wilson said, <laughs> okay, whatever. He walked out. 
And between Tex Round, Commissioner Pete Rosell, and the NFL General Counsel representative, his name was Hamilton Carruthers, they all came to an agreement that it would take a congreg uh, congregational, a congressional approval for the two leagues to merge, especially since they, just like years before with the AAFC, they did not want all the AFL teams. They only wanted a certain one. And then on top of that, they wanted the Oakland Raiders and the New York Jets to move. They wanted them to move. And I quote from Arthur uh, Charles K. Ross's book. It was called, it's called, not it was, Mavericks, Money, and Men. Carruthers pointed out that if some AFL teams were not included to force or, or, or forced to move, this will surely prompt legislators in that state to oppose the merger. His final instructions were that any negotiations needed to be kept confidential. The merger talks could not afford leaks. It was also decided that Tex Ram will be the NFL's representative uh, and he had to reach out to someone who was, and I quote again, discreet and influential in the AFL. And according to Ross, Shram has said, and I quote, I suppose it's got to be Lamar. <laughs> to be continued. That's it. Thanks to ProFootballReference.com, ESPN.com, and also a slew of books. America's Game, the NFL at 100, written by Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams. Mavericks, Money, and Men, the AFL, Black Players, and the Evolution of Modern Football. This is a very good book. I love Charles K. Ross. Uh, also, Countdown to Super Bowl, how the 1968-69 New York Jets delivered on Joe Namath's guarantee to win it all. This written by Dave Anderson. And then also Jack Gildon's book, Collision of Wills. Johnny Unitas, Don Shula, and the rise of the modern NFL. And finally, the Sporting News Complete Super Bowl book, 1993 edition. Editors Tom Donard, Tom Donard, Joe Hopple, and Dave Sloan. This has been the Behind the Mic podcast. I am your host again, Michael Neal Jr. The show is presented by Belly Up Sports and Belly Up Media. Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Check us out, bellyupsports.com and our home base of Megaphone. All your favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Tell all your friends and family about this show your fathers mothers cousins sisters aunties uh little brothers girlfriends former roommate about this show or i'll be forced to knock on your door when i find your house i'm out